All right, let's go to Isaiah chapter 54, and I want to get into our series today, give you a little highlight about where we're going. Next week, we're going to talk about the one word uh, uh, title is the word believe, and we're going to talk about how God wants to free us from shame, free us from fear, free us from the guilt and the things of our past that keep us hindered or keep us living in a realm of unbelief with God. It's going to be a powerful Sunday, and we're going to have some time of impartation, and we're going to give those areas to the Lord. Wasn't it great hearing the testimonies of our young people this morning? And I know those could be multiplied a thousand times over with what God did this week, and it was really, really powerful. We want that to happen in all of our lives, amen, that we're free from fear, free from shame, free from guilt, and really moving aggressively in the vision. The week after that, we're going to talk about partnering with God and what that means, and then we're going to end on Commitment Sunday. You saw that. We're going to end on Commitment Sunday, which is March the 19th. It's going to be an amazing Sunday of faith, an amazing Sunday of lavish, joyful expression of our hearts and giving. I want you to be full of faith, and we're going to, our theme for that Sunday is prevail. We're going to talk about that amazing promise in Isaiah 54 that no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper and that the promise of God for us is we will prevail in everything that he's asking us to do. How many of you believe that? Amen. So that, I want to build your faith moving into this so we move in faith and we really see God do some amazing, amazing things. So let's take a look today at the, at the uh, message of the house, the message of the hour right now. Isaiah 54 verse 2. Of course, we talked about the phrase, enlarge your heart, your house. We talked about the phrase, build an addition, spread out your home. And look at this last expression here. The Bible says, spare no expense. God's not only telling us to sing in faith. He's not only telling us to build in faith, to expand in faith, uh, to do these things before they're even manifested. But God says something else about the way he wants us to conduct ourselves. And we preached on this before. How many of you know God is a generous God? He is an extravagant God. And he wants us to move in that kind of extravagant faith. He wants us to move in that kind of generosity uh, that spares no expense. Now let me just mention something here. Um, we're going to talk today about a second building project in the Bible, which is the construction of the temple, Solomon's temple, as it's known in Scripture. But I'm not, I don't want you to get lost in money. My heart, my whole focus this Sunday is not about money. Money's just a tool. Money's just something God uses. But this isn't about money today. This is about extravagance. This is about uh, full surrender. This is about consecration. How I many of you know God isn't interested in our money? He's interested in us. He's interested in all of us. He wants our heart. He wants our lives. He wants a joyful, glad surrender of all that we are to all that he is. And so I don't want you to get lost in money. And I also want to mention this. You know, last week I made the comment, just to put it in perspective, that the tabernacle, the, the, the movable worship, you know, tent, we call it the tent of meeting, this tent was no normal tent. This was a 70 to $80 million project in today's dollars, Okay. Now, I just shared that because I wanted you to get the understanding that whatever God does, he does in a grand way. Now, some people carry this over, though, and I want to just put a little parenthesis here. I don't believe God's wanting us to build the Taj Mahal, you know, Christian Taj Mahal, uh, and that somehow we have to spend lots of money or be extravagant in money to somehow be on the scale that God demands. You know, I, I think that's a misapplication of Scripture. I think we need to build to be relevant to our culture. In other words, 
we're trying, to, we're trying to reach America, all right? There's certain standards in America. We want our buildings to be excellent. We want our buildings to be tastefully done. But how many of you know we don't build buildings just to build buildings? We build buildings to allow ministry and God's glory and God's presence to flow through what happens inside those buildings to touch people. So I just want you to hear it. When I'm, when I'm teaching about this, this is not a parallel that somehow God's wanting us to build a 70 or $80 million tent here on the property to, to parallel what he did in the tabernacle of Moses. That's not the message, so don't go there. Uh, it's not about, hey, I'm the pastor and the pastor should be, you know, the most blessed person in the church. I've heard those messages too. No, that's not where we're going. Uh, we are blessed beyond measure in Jesus. Amen. He, he's our treasure. It's not about materialism or material things. Those are not signs of, of our blessing. But we do know that God wants to bless us materially to confirm the covenant to establish his work in the earth. Everybody with me on that? So I'm just keeping things in balance here. But I'm also trying to demonstrate something in Scripture that's very clear, that God is an extravagant God. Now you say, well, Pastor, how do you, how do you determine that? Well, how about this? How much are you worth to God? Let me give you the answer. You're worth His Son's blood that was shed for you. How many of you think you might be valuable? But how many of you think that was kind of an extravagant gift? Um, that's incredibly extravagant gift, but it was God's extravagant love that demonstrated on the cross, that demonstrated the value of your life to him, that he would give that which was most valuable to himself, namely Jesus Christ. And so that's the extravagance that I'm trying to establish here today. So I want you to see what happens. We're going to fast forward the, the, the history here from the tabernacle of Moses, which we talked about, about 500 years down the road to where now Israel is no longer nomadic. They're not living in the wilderness. God has established David firmly upon his throne, um, and Israel is the most blessed nation in the world under King David's rule, okay? This is moving ahead. And David is living in, in a very nice house, and all of a sudden it dawns on him, I'm living in a very nice uh, you know, home here for myself, but God's glory, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant is still in tents. It's still being transported in something that's not permanent. And I love Pastor Dick going to, you know, you actually went to the exact passage I was going to talk about today. Isn't that cool? Because David had a love for the presence of God. Have you found that to be true when you read scripture? David loved the glory of God. David loved being in God's house, as Pastor Dick highlighted. In fact, there's a number of places here that I just want to read for us. Um, uh, Pastor Dick read Psalm 26, verse 8. It says this, I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. Psalm 27, verse 4, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek the most, David writing here, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating on his temple. This is amazing. David longed for the presence of God. He, 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 he was a glory addict, all right? If you want to be addicted to something that's legitimate, be addicted to the presence of God. Make sure you live in such a way that you cannot be apart from the presence and glory of the Lord. And for David, he sensed God's presence most profoundly when he went into the temple of the Lord, when he went into the worship center. That's where he felt and experienced God's glory the strongest. And so David had a heart for God, and he had a heart for the things of God. And I want you to see that as he gets to the end of his life, and I want you to flip over now to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, an amazing passage of Scripture. But when David gets to the end of his life, his focus begins to shift. 
And I want us to begin reading in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1, because there's a task that God has put in the heart of, of this king. It says, Then King David turned unto the entire assembly, all y'all, and he said this, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced, and the work ahead of him is enormous. For the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. Isn't that cool? The temple's not for mere mortals. It's for the Lord God himself. This is amazing. How many of you have figured out as you get more mature, your priorities and your focus naturally shift? And David here, in fact, when you get to the end of this chapter, David dies. I mean, this is, this is the end of the rope for David. First Chronicles 29, this is the end of the journey. When you get to the end of David's life, David is not thinking about personal accolades. He's not thinking about experiencing new things. He's not thinking of building a new addition on his house. He's not thinking about how much money he has in retirement. I mean, you know, when you're at that season of your life, none of those things really matter. And there's, it's amazing how clear God's priorities and God's perspective become uh, in clear focus when we're moving on in that journey and when we're almost to the end. And I want to encourage us this morning, you don't have to wait till you're at the end to be wise. Because let me just tell you something, you're all going to get there eventually. And you're going to get there sooner than you think. That's how quick life goes. It's a vapor and it's gone. But this is how David's focus shifts as an older man, as a more mature man. He begins to focus on the Lord and he begins to focus on the house of the Lord. I mean, you know, those are the things that go on forever, is the Lord and his dwelling place where, he, where his glory dwells. David began to get more centered on God's heart, more centered on God's glory, the older that he got. How about you, and how about me? Isn't that something where we're, our focus should not be on the things of this world as much as they are on the things that last forever? I also like this. David is focused in this passage not on himself. It's amazing how carnal leaders, worldly leaders, secular leaders all want to leave monuments to themselves. Have you noticed that? They're all worried about their legacy. In fact, ungodly kings in the Bible, they stand at the top of the, of the mountain of their success and they say, aren't I wonderful? Look at everything that I built. But I mean, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. That wasn't his focus at all. In fact, David's focus, secondly, is on setting up his son for success. I mean, you know, good fathers care about their kids, and they care about the success of their kids, both biological kids and spiritual kids. David's thinking here about legacy. He's thinking, what is it going to take to set my son up so that when I'm dead and gone, my son is walking in a double portion of what I had? I mean, you know, that's a wise thought right there. And I want to encourage you, you know, if you're a parent out here and you're, you might be holding a newborn in your arms, it's amazing how the next generation causes us to think more soberly about who we are and what we're really leaving behind. Uh, and I want to encourage you, what's the legacy that you're leaving behind? And then thirdly, I love this, he's focused on future generations. He says, you know, I want to build something that will house the glory of God so that generations to come will be able to come into this place and experience the greatness of God's glory the way that I have. 
How about you all? You know, I, I think about this. I think about, you know, we happen to have generations of Johnsons in the house, you know. Um, my father, myself, the next generations to come, all of you that have been a part of the various stages of Living Stone since the beginning. But I'll tell you this, I think often about what's the next hundred years going to look like if the Lord tarries. What's the next, what are we setting up for the next generation in a world that somehow, sometimes seems like it's getting darker and darker? Will we be a bright and burning light, a blazing lamp in this culture and in this generation? Will we, will we be having encounters 50 years from now where young people are being rocked and changed and encountered by God? Will we be sending the folks to the nations 50 years from now if Jesus tarries? Are you hearing what I'm saying? You begin to think about legacy and you begin to think about the next generation. And this is where David is at. I want us to think about that ourselves as we look to the future here at Living Stones. But not only did David have a task, but he also had a team. And I want us to read under uh, in verse 2 here. It says, Using every resource that was at my command, I, I've gathered as much as I could for the building of the temple of my God. Now there's enough gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood, as well as the great quantities of onyx and other precious stones and costly jewels and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And then look at verse 3. It says, And now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I'm giving all my own private treasures of gold and silver to help the the construction. This is in addition to the building materials that I've already collected for his holy temple. I'm donating more than, this is what it says, check it out, 112 tons of gold from Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for the overlaying of the walls of the building. We're not using paint here, folks. We're, We're painting the walls with gold and silver. And for all the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give the offerings of the Lord today? Now, let me just say this. I did, you know, I did the math last week on the tabernacle. And I said that just the gold was right at about $40 million. Do you know, get ready for this, David's personal offering of gold for this temple that was to be built was $4 billion. That's with a B. For B. That was just David's personal gift to God. Now, I want to remind you, where did David start off? David started off running for his life with a bunch of men who were broken, misfits, dejected. He was living like a wild animal for the first years of his life. But at the end of his life, he is so blessed by God Just the personal commitment of gold is $4 billion. Now, let me just tell you this. Solomon's temple was the most spectacular edifice ever constructed by human beings for the glory of God. And if if we look at a $70 to $80 million project for a tent, I'm telling you Solomon's temple had to be close to, I don't know how many... How many billions of dollars if just, you know, when the others gathered together, and we're going to see when, when the rest of the team showed up with what they gave, they gave like 100, I think it was 188 um, tons of gold. That was, more, that was more than David's investment. So we have at least $10 billion worth of gold. That's just for starters. That's not including the silver and everything else. This temple was a, a and here's what I want you to see. It's not about the dollar amounts. It's about the consecration amounts it's not about the lavish nature of the amount it's about the lavish generosity that was flowing from the hearts of God's people 
And I want you to see, we've said this before, if you're going to do something great for God, and let's, not even, let's get it out of the realm of buildings. I'm just saying, if we want to do something great for God that leaves a mark, that impacts many people, how many know the greater the vision, the greater the team that's needed? Which is why I'm just going to say this. Why do you think the devil brings disunity and strife and murmuring to most churches to keep everybody divided? Because listen, a small pocket of people can only accomplish a small dream. A large group of people going the same direction with glad hearts and pursuing the glory of the Lord together are unstoppable. They're an unstoppable force. I don't know about you, but can we just dream some really big dreams together that require everybody to show up, everybody to participate, everybody to be engaged, everybody to do something, not out of a sense of obligation, not out of a sense of religious guilt, not out of a sense of duty, but hear me, out of a lavish expression of gratitude and joy and enthusiastic response to the mercy of God over our lives where no one's twisting our arm or telling us or feeling compelled to do anything. I mean, you know, David, this was burning in his heart. He says, I want to do this. Why? For the glory of God. God, I want this to be a lavish expression of the gratitude of my life. I want to give it back to you. And that's exactly what he did. And so David leads the way, and I'm just telling you that your leadership team here, we are going to lead the way. If you're called to lead God's people, you're called to lead in every area. I can't tell you to have a quiet time with God if I'm not having a quiet time. I can't tell you to be faithful if you're in your stewardship if I'm an unfaithful steward. I can't tell you to love your wife if I'm not loving mine. I can't tell you to pour into your kids and love your kids if I'm not loving my kids. How many know spiritual leadership means you do it first and then you ask others to follow? It doesn't mean do as I say, not as I do. It means you die, you set the example. If it means there's a building project, you're writing the first check. If it means you're talking about extravagance, you lead the way with extravagance. That's what it means to lead. That's why when we put people in leadership positions at this church, what are we looking for? We're looking for faithfulness. We're looking for consistency. We're looking for your stewardship. Are you a faithful steward? Or are you a God robber? Are you a worshiper? Are you committed to God's house? Do you burn with a passion for Jesus? That's what it means to be a spiritual leader. Not that you have a big title, a big bank account, and you're a big person out in the world. God doesn't care about those things. There are no big people. There's just little people whom God has touched. God's looking for broken people. God's looking for people that love him and who get it and who realize it's about a big God, not about big me. I'm little. I'm nothing before the Lord. Who am I? Who am I? And so I want you to see what happens in verse 6. David leads the way. David leads the way with his gifts. David leads the way with his extravagant affection for God. And then verse 6 comes. Then the family leaders and the leaders of the tribes of Israel and the generals and the captains of the army and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly for the construction of the temple of God. They gave 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, 3,750 tons of iron. And they all contributed numerous precious stones which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord. Not everyone, as you notice here, gave the same amount, but I want you to see this. Everyone gave willingly and sacrificially, and everybody gave out of an incredible heart of excitement. 
My only desire is that on March the 19th, when we make our commitments before the Lord, that every one of those commitments we've just prayed through, and here's been our heart, Lord Jesus, what can I do to bless you and what you're doing? What is my part, Lord? Just tell me, what do you want me to do? And that we have a chance to willingly, joyfully, extravagantly lavish our sense of faith-filled commitment on God on the 19th. And we just believe God then to do what only God can do. So there's a great task. There's a great team. But here's what I want you to see. There's also a great test. And I want you to go with me to verse 10 in this passage. First Chronicles 29, verse 10. And here's the test. It says, Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, Lord, and he starts going off here on all the attributes of God. Yours, Lord, is the greatness. Yours, Lord, is the power. Yours is the glory and the victory and the majesty. And then look what he says. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. O Lord, and this is your kingdom. And I love this verse. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and are given strength. Can you feel the heart of David here? And I just want to encourage you. Has anybody ever read through the Bible and you read David's life and all of its glory and you scratch your head and you go, how did God call this guy a man after my own heart? I mean, how do you know David had some biggies on our list of sins? Did he not? Adultery, murder, those are kind of big. And not just murder, you murder one of your most loyal best friends because you slept with his wife and got her pregnant. And then you have him murdered on the field of battle. I mean, you know, those are biggies on our list. But you know what else David did great? He was a big repenter. And when he sinned against God, he laid there in brokenness. And we have Psalm 51 as a product of his contrition and his brokenness. And, And here's the cry of his heart. God, you know, he lost his son as a result of this. But he said, God, don't take your presence from me. David loved the presence of God. And how many of you know every one of us in a moment of weakness? In a moment of weakness. David was a great warrior for God, but in a moment of weakness. One look, one look of entrapment, one lustful thing that leads from one thing to the next, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a bad place. How many of you know, thank God he is a God of mercy. Thank God he's a forgiver. Thank God you never get to the end of your rope where there's no hope for you. There's always the mercy of God is always more than any sin we could ever come up with. God's mercy always overwhelms our worst sin. Thank God for that. And at the end of his days... At the end of his days, here's this man that has been broken. He's been through loss. His own family's been blown apart. He realizes much of it is because he opened the door to this through his own sin. But his heart is still beating hard for God. And I love this. God calls him, that is a man after my heart. Oh, my word. There is hope for all of us in this place. 
that as you turn to God, and what is consecration? Consecration is simply the death of our selfishness, the death of me holding on to a life that is not mine. It's the death of me holding on to resources that are not mine and that I can't take with me. It's the death of me holding on to a business that's not mine, a dream that's not mine. And all consecration is is saying, God, take it all. Because it all belongs to you. And let me just tell you, that death right there is the most life-giving, free experience you could ever have. You know, my precious daughter, on the verge of, you know, right in the middle of high school here, right, comes to the encounter, she's all stressed out. Bless her heart. She's just a teenager. She's all stressed out. And she was all stressed out. She had school, and she had tennis, and she had God, and she had all these friends, and all this stuff going on. And she came home last night after the encounter. She said, we have to talk. And she was intent. And she pulled us together in the front room, and she just started heart, heart gushing. And you know, if you had to sum it all up, this, this is what happened. Caroline died. See, Caroline doesn't need, Caroline doesn't need stress relief. You know why we're all stressed out? Because we're still running our life. I mean, that's the truth. You know why you're all stressed out? Because you're just trying to keep everything going. And you can't handle it. And guess what? You weren't designed to handle it. And isn't it amazing? You know, I heard this amazing story. You know how you catch a monkey? I'm just going to tell you. You know how you catch a monkey? You get a gourd, and you drill a hole in it, and you put something that monkeys like, like peanut butter or something, in the gourd, or candy, and the monkey puts his hand in the gourd, because it's just big enough to get the monkey's hand in, and then he grabs everything, and guess what happens when you grab it? Your fist enlarges, and then the monkey can't get his hand out of the gourd, and are you ready for this? The monkey won't let go. Now, there's an application for somebody there today. (laughs) And you know how you catch a monkey? You walk up to the monkey like this. You say, hi, stupid monkey. And you grab the monkey by the hand, and you walk off, and the monkey still has his hand in the gourd because he, he would not let go. All he has to do is let go, and he's free. But you know what? That monkey... How many of you can relate to that monkey? Oh, man, you just hold on to the sin. You just hold on. Oh, it's going to taste so good. And the devil just walks right up. You fool. Grabs you by the hand and leads you off into bondage. The secret of freedom and consecration is letting go. Let go of your life. Let go of all the stuff you're holding on to. And begin to trust the Lord with your life. Look at what David says here. Jump down to verse 17 very quickly. 1 Chronicles 29, 17. Because here's the test from the Lord. How many of you know life is just a test? The stuff we go through is just a test. Good, did you have a good week, bad week? Well, it's all relative, but it's all a test. The real question is, how did you respond to what came across your life this week? Did you respond like a believer? Did you respond in faith? Or did you respond like a monkey? All right. Look at verse 17. 
I know, my God, that you examine our hearts. God examines our hearts. And God rejoices when he finds something there. What's he looking for? When he finds integrity there. David says, you know I've done all this with good motives and I've watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. Boy, circle those words in your Bible. Willingly and joyously. Go back to, excuse me, verse 2 and 3. He says, using every resource, David says, at my command. I love the way the Amplified says it. David says, I have prepared with all my might. Isn't that good? And then you jump down to verse 3 and another key phrase He says, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I'm giving out of my private treasures. Now, I just want to throw this out before us. Sometimes God tests us. You know, we say, Lord, it's all yours. But then the Lord says, great, I'd like that. And he says, well, Lord, it's all yours. I'm sorry, though, but that's not mine. That's part of my private treasure. That's mine. This is all yours, but... That's still mine. How many of you know David didn't give out of his excess? David gave out of his private treasures. That meant when God was just testing. I mean, how much do you love me? How much are you extravagant in your affection for me? That much? David gave joyfully and willingly. Nothing was off limits to the Lord. Was it the stuff, let me just ask you this question, is God broke and does he need a dime from you or me? No. This has nothing to do with money. This has everything to do with your heart. This has everything to do with an extravagant demonstration of affection to God. And many times God just uses material things because it's the stuff we hold on to. It's like our bartering system. It's like what we exchange for something else. He uses our stuff as a sign of what's going on on the inside. And David said this and at the end, it's in 1 Chronicles 29, at the end of verse 5, after David sets the example, then he says this, I'm reading from the Amplified, who's willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today? Who's willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today? That was a question David asked the people. He wasn't worried about pledges and offerings for the temple. He was, he was asking this question, who wants to give themselves to God today? And that's the same question I think the Lord is asking from us. And here's the truth, and David ends with this, everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, Lord. Verse 14, everything we have has come from you, and we give only what you have first given us. Verse 16, O Lord our God, even this material that we have gathered to build a temple, to honor your holy name, it all comes from you. It all belongs to you. Boy, what a great place to be. Someday we're going to die, and we're going to leave this life. And you know what we're going to realize? It all belonged to him. You won't take anything with you. It all belonged to God. That You're going to realize it then because it, all you're going to have is your relationship, your heart, your, your spirit that's been made alive to God, and, and God's presence himself. And you're going to, you and I, we're going to stand before him. So remember what the Bible declares. I, I love these power verses. You know, Philippians, every knee is going to bow. Every single tongue will confess. What are they going to confess? The truth. 
the truth. All these God-haters running around, rebellious, railing at God, railing at the Bible, railing at believers, railing at Jesus. Someday, the Lord says, they'll all be at the same place, bowing before Christ, declaring his lordship over all. The sad thing is, for some, it's going to be too late. Now's the time to consecrate yourself to the Lord. Now, we, you know, in church, you know, sometimes we get religious, we do altar call stuff, and, you know, we fill out things and all that kind of stuff. Listen, I, I don't want to go there. That's not my heart at all. Here's what I'm asking you to do, and sometimes it's just a demonstration of our heart. I just want to consecrate us to the Lord afresh and anew today, like right now. Um, and if that's in your heart, I'm not, this is not some gimmick. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. If, but if in your heart, heart of hearts today, you just want to say, count me in on that, Pastor. I want my life. I want everything, my business. I want my family. I want my marriage. I want me. I want to consecrate myself to Jesus in a fresh way today as an act of worship. That's the invitation. I'm just asking you to join me right here, right here in front of the altar this is a consecrated place to the Lord, and I just want to pray for us as we move forward in this vision and in the promises of God. So if that's you, come up here and just join me right now. I want to have a prayer meeting right here. And while you're coming up, just find your neighbor and just look at him and say, man, I'm so glad you're on my team. Just tell him that, all right? I'm just so glad you're on my team. I'm glad you're on my team. I'm glad you're on my team, man. I wouldn't want to do this without you. Man, we got the best family in the world. You know that? We got the best family in the world. I'm glad you're part of it. I saw that smiling face out there today. Oh. Man, these are awesome people. They are. They're handsome. I'm glad we got some Italians in the mix, too. You know, you need Italians in the mix. You need good Italians. Hey, no one's feeling religious, right? Everybody just feel like family? Good to have you guys back on your feet, by the way. I mean, I'm glad I told somebody. I'm glad we don't have to do this alone. Glad we get to do this with a team. Now grab your neighbor's hand. I know that's a big one, too. If you don't know your neighbor, always introduce yourself. Never hold hands with a stranger, all right? (laughs) Never hold hands with a stranger. Come up here, sweetie. I just want to be able to see everybody. Now, I love the spirit of the house. You know, God is moving, and I think there's a tidal wave of his goodness and presence that's rising. I just feel the smile of God and the favor of God. I'm just grateful for all that he's doing. And I know that there's more. And so, Lord, here we are. We're standing in the big offering plate. This is like a big offering plate here at the altar. Lord, we're jumping in. We're not giving you stuff. We're giving you us. Lord, we're giving you our lives. Lord, we're giving you our hearts. We're giving you stress or other things, Lord, that have been weighing on us, Lord. We just want to die and get out of the way. And Lord, we want you to reign in our lives. So Jesus, this is the offering today. It's our lives corporately. It's it's your church. It's your dream. It's your goal. It's your glory, God. We're just asking for more of you. You're what we're after, Lord. We want you and We want a move of God, and we want to see more people touched and saved and nations reached and marriages healed and and kids set on fire for God and children raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And God, we want to see blessing in our community, Lord. 
And we want to see your favor and your prosperity, God, everywhere we go. And so, Lord Jesus, we just give you ourselves. We come like King David did, Lord, realizing that he was a broken man, a sinner, that he had committed great sins against you, Lord. But even, even in spite of his failure, God, he was one prayer and one repentant heart away from full restoration and the full smile of your heart. So, Lord, I just pray blessing over all of us today. Our past is under the blood of Jesus Christ, and our future is so bright. And, Lord, your love and your affection is so strong over all of us here right now. And I just pray that every one of you would feel the affection and just the beating heart of God over your life. You are a pleasure to your Father. And, God, we want to be a pleasure right back to you. God, we want you to be full of joy today when you look upon us. And Jesus, this is awesome stuff. As we consecrate ourselves to you and submit to you, I know that we literally just open the opportunity, the floodgates, the, 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 the doors of heaven wide open for you to rain down blessing that is unable to contain. And so, Lord, we just thank you that we can never outgive you. We can never outlove you. We can never out anything you. You are the great God, the great majestic one, full of glory, full of might, full of power. Nothing is impossible for you. So, Lord, let your mercy overtake us, knit us together in love, God. Let the army continue to grow so that the dream in your heart, Lord, a big dream to reach many people, God, that that big dream in your heart could absolutely be fulfilled in this house. Lord, we bless the person on our right. We bless the person on our left. We thank you that you put us on a team. Help us to love your people, Lord, the way you do. We commit this morning to you and commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give him a shout.